This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So we're going to pick up our Ecclesiastes series. Uh, uh, the title this morning is called The March of Time. Uh, we've been looking at the uh, book of Ecclesiastes under the title Chasing the Wind. Uh, and with, It's a 3,000-year-old book, but I think it's got challenging perspectives for our 21st century lives. Uh, I think it's probably you found, maybe the found the first two weeks, if you've been here, almost depressing. Uh, I, I think... You know, Solomon, who, or whoever the writer in the, in the form of Solomon, is deliberately trying to depress you. So if we've depressed you, then we're, I, I think, you know, we've probably done a good job. But it's almost depressing because, you know, here's Solomon who's seen all kind of life. I think Christopher put it last week. He's had all the power, the parties, the palaces, the possessions, and the pa- passionate sex that 21st century life would say is the good life. And at the end, his conclusion is, with, is it's all vapor. Nothing satisfies, nothing has real substance, nothing lasts, it's all momentary, it's all fleeting. And I think the, the, the teacher or the preacher is deliberately holding up a mirror to life without God and making us feel like, man, this is a depressing picture of our world. And, and I think it, it, there's something in it to say we, we long for a saviour. You know, something that makes life meaningful, someone that makes life different, someone that satisfies that kind of inner sense of I just searching and searching and can't find anything that, that we, 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 it makes us long for a saviour, someone to fix the broken world and broken people and make us and make the world new. So if that's where you're feeling, it's a, it's a good place. We're going to look today at the fleeting, uncontrollably, constantly marching thing called time. We're obsessed with time, aren't we? We're obsessed with time. Uh, we check the time. We ask the time. And we try to manage our time. We worry about time. Time is money, our boss sells us when we go for a break. Uh, I obviously do that in the church office. Uh, we waste time. <laughs> oh man, we waste time. We've never got enough time. If only I had a bit more time. And then I want downtime, me time. Our time, family time, holiday time. And then when we stop for a moment, we go, whoa, hasn't time fly? You look at your kids and you think, where did the years go by? You know, I look at other people's kids now and I think, where did the years go by? And we reflect on those sad moments. um, And people people in our, our family have experienced that even in the last few weeks. We look at that sad moments and think, time waits for no one. So what we're going to find here is, in in Ecclesiastes, um, jumping in at at 2.24 and rolling through that famous uh, poem that if you're an old 60s rocker, like, um, I'm trying to look for some old 60s rocker, I wasn't going to pick anyone out, I I could ban there, but no, you know, the birds, there's a season for everything, turn, turn, nobody knows what I'm talking about. Okay, thank you very much. And we're going to roll through 3.15. There is nothing better 
for a person to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. Now, interesting about that, we'll come to that because that's a bit of an ambiguous statement. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Oh, thank you, that's helpful. For apart from him, who can eat and find satisfaction? So he's reflecting on what we talked about last week. Nobody can find satisfaction without God. To a person who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering up and storing wealth. And then he says an interesting thing, to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Now, I'm just waiting for my deposit from those people that have got loads of wealth but don't love Jesus to give it to, to me. Hopefully, I'm a one that pleases God. I don't really know what that means, but I think the whole point is you gather up wealth and it's gone. It's that balloon pop that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. This too is meaningless, he says, a chasing after the wind. And then comes this poem. There's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace. And when it's coronavirus, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Verse 9. What do workers or laborers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race, yet God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and enjoy his good life. This is a gift of God, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. I know that all that God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will live in awe or live in fear. It's interesting, we're full of fear in society, but actually God wants to live in awe of him, in fear of him. Whatever has already been and what will already before, have been before, but God seeks all things, and I've retranslated this, to move things rapidly forward. There's a sense of, he finishes that section with a purposeful, sense that God is moving forward. And it's after, it, this is a, a really nice turning because after the first two chapters, there's suddenly a glimmer of light. God gets a mention in all the kind of what about this and what about that. Suddenly God gets a mention. But actually the, the writer Solomon mentions him in the most mundane of all activities, the most momentary of habits. He mentions him in eating a meal. He uses kind of eating a meal as a kind of picture of human living. And he says there's nothing better for a person than to eat and drink. And I think, amen. And find satisfaction from their toil. This too I see, this too is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and find satisfaction? The basic, the teacher's saying there's two ways to eat and drink. There's two ways to eat and drink. You can eat and drink as if life has no meaning. 
As if it really all is truly vapour. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. If, if there's no resurrection of the dead, if there's no life after death, let us eat, drink and be merry. Or let's eat, drink, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You can eat and drink as if there's nothing else. Just eating and drinking is what all, it's, it's all about. Uh, actually, philosophers call this idea nihilism or nihilism. Is it nihilism? Nihilism. And that's the rejection of any sense of religious or moral meaning to life. There's no point to life. So, so you can eat and drink as if there's no point to life. Anti-theist Richard Dawkins put it this way. It's a bit of a sad quote, this. It says, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, or viruses as well, some people are going to get hurt, and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we'd expect if there is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And then he picks on DNA. I don't know why he picks on DNA. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Basically saying if there's no reason for life, then it's just the way things are. You get lucky. You get coronavirus, you don't get coronavirus. It's just the way things are. It's just, it's just luck. There's no purpose or meaning. We just go through life. And I think, Richard Dawkins, how depressing your life must be. But that's where Solomon has led us. If there's no God, this is what life is like. It's ultimately meaningless and empty vapour. And how you react might depend on your age. I found this super-duper funny meme. So I don't know which of you are. Are you a millennial or older? Obviously, there's a whole 15 generations for my boomers. But millennials, oh, nothing in life matters. Oh, it's so bad. Gen, Gen Z kids, hey, nothing in life matters. Cool, we'll do what we want. I don't know what you are. Maybe, maybe your sense of, if a sense of kind of nothing in life matters leads society to hedonism. Live for pleasure, live for experience, live for the moment, live for yourself. Let other people worry about purpose or fulfillment, live for now. But actually for most people, nihilism, this sense there is no purpose, leads to despair. This is an, also a classic meme. Just read, I'll let you read it. It says, Halloween, what scares you most? Paul says, werewolves. Nina says, sharks. Dylan says, the unstoppable marching of time that is slowly guiding us all towards an inevitable death. And Catherine says, what scares you most? Dylan. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, that is scary, isn't it? You know, he's like... Dylan, the ultimate nihilist. <laughs> there's nothing. There's no, this is what scares me: that that kind of the senseless moving of time that's going to lead us all to death. I think Dylan, you're just Z, Gen Z. You should think, hey, it doesn't matter. But Solomon contrasts the empty life of the nihilist, the empty life of no purpose, no meaning, and he says that says you can enjoy your life, but you can enjoy your life as given from the hand of God. Apart from him, who can eat 
and find satisfactions. It's almost if you go into a, go into a restaurant in town, there might be somebody eating in the restaurant in town, obviously two metres away from you. If you go into restaurants, uh, apart from at race week, when everybody's hugging each other and high-fiving each other, but hey, that's Cheltenham. Um, you know, you, you're, in the, you're in the restaurant. Somebody could be eating and thinking, man, I'll just eat and drink because tomorrow doesn't matter. Or somebody, you could be eating and drinking in the restaurant and think, thank you that this meal is a microcosm of life given from the hand of God. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness. It's not guaranteed. We'll find later that there's not guaranteed happiness, but you will have wisdom and knowledge. But to Tino, he gives the gives the meaningless, chasing after the wind task of gathering and storing up wealth that he cannot hold on to. Jesus picks this theme. I mean, he wrote the whole book, didn't he, in one way or another, but he picks this theme in Luke 12, 18 and 20. He's telling a parable about a rich guy. The rich guy says, this is what I'll do. I will store my surplus grain, or foreign currency, or whatever you're trading these days, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life, eat, easy. Here it is again. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? There's this sense of how you go through the mundane parts of life really matters. I said it again, this is the gift of God that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction. Without him, it's meaningless vapour, it's chasing after the wind. And having set up this idea, these, these contrasts, then the writer then moves us into the famous poem, which I'm not going to read again, but, but the metre of this poem catches the rhythms of time. There's a time to, there's a time to, there's a time to. It's got the kind of turning rhythms of time. And it's interestingly, it contrasts two activities to bookend them, uh, as two bookends to, to, to kind of speak about the middle. So there's a time to give birth, or there's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. And in between them is life. And that's what he's doing, is he's writing this kind of bookending phrases. There's a time to embrace, and a time to refrain embracing, as I've said earlier. So we've got this kind of sense where it's almost like he's marking out the whole of life. He starts on one, but time to born, marks it out, time to die, time to sow, time to reap, time to gather stones, time to scatter. So it's almost like he's stretching out a kind of, a, a, as it were, a map of life. The, the, some of the, as it were, day-to-day -day and challenging and ha ha activities of life. But it's interesting, the word time is not, the measure of time. The word he uses is about a moment in time. It's not as if he's measuring up. There's a time to, there's a time to weep that lasts for two months and there's a time to, uh, time to dance that lasts two months. He's not measuring out bits of time like we do in our calendars or diaries. There's a bit of time for this and there's a bit of time for that. No, he's talking about there are moments. The, the Greeks... Uh, uh, 
translated this, there's a kairos, there's, there's moments, there's those appropriate moments for these things. And he says there's moments, there's moments to weep and moments to laugh and moments to mourn and moments to dance. Life is full of good moments and hard moments and in-between moments. The poem offers some great stuff. It's got birth and new beginnings and hope of times of laughter and dancing and peace and healing and embracing and love. All the things that recharge our soul. Dancing would be good. We should have them dancing in church. I used to, we used to do dancing in church. Not with those flaggy things, though. No, I wasn't having that. But I used to dance in church, and I felt I started a trend. I used to go to this church in London, and the, ch- the way that Christians used to dance was called the charismatic two-step, and it was kind of like this. And I thought, I'm not doing this. So I, I, I brought in the charismatic pogo, and I used to dance like this. And now I feel that actually that took over. And then what happened is, after the Toronto blessing, everyone said, we're not having that. We're going to be like good Baptists. We're not, no, no dancing. But, you know, it's good. There's a time for dancing. Where's that? Well, we go to a party. But you can dance in church. You know, there's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a time for weeping. Well, that belongs there. We kind of compartmentalize where things go. But, but, but the writer's saying, no, there's those moments of birth and new beginnings and laughter and dancing and peace, things that make us fully alive, that make us realize we're made in the image of God. And then there's the bits we don't like. The tearing down and the losing the weeping and the mourning and the war and the killing and the hate and death that shows us we live in a broken world under the sun. The poem shows us that there are moments when it seems like indiscriminate forces of nature are acting on us, but most of the time the pairs in the poem involve our connectedness to others between moments of birth and death. Yeah, David Gibson and his book on... on Really interesting book. It's called Living Life Backwards, which is his book on Ecclesiastes. He says this, we're profoundly relational beings, created in the image of a relational God, and most of the moments of our lives are taken up with navigating the different stages of our relationships and the effects they have on us. And then he draws some really sharp contrasts. He says, we dance at a wedding and mourn the loss of the one we danced with. We laugh together. And then weep with those we used to laugh with. Without thinking, we reach out and touch some, but we instinctively draw back from others. If we were to somehow take the seasons of life out of the web of relationships in which we are enmeshed, our lives would become flat and monotonous. We check our watches and calendars every day. But we don't set the seasons of life just by the patterns of the sun and moon. Rather, our times are marked by being a daughter and a sister, becoming a wife and a lover, and then a mother, and then a grandmother, and then a widow. He says, these are the seasons God gives, the time he grants are tied to the presence an absence of relationships with others and with him. So this poem sketches out kind of moments and it sketches out the breadth of life and it sketches out the importance of relationships. 
But the interesting thing about this poem is that you hear it read at funerals with people who've got no faith in God. Because all it does is just describe life as it is. Life with rich relationships, life with good times and bad times. Uh, um, David Gibson says that basically it could have been written by an atheist philosopher or a poet laureate. There's nothing about God in here. But actually the, the preacher gives us a commentary. And we'll run through that as we finish. The commentary that the preacher gives us, the big idea is that God has set eternity in the human heart. There's something about us that feels there's more than this. We even sing a song, don't we? There must be more than this. But you listen to pop lyrics and rap songs, there's a sense that there's more. I was at the CU, Christian Union, and we were talking about suffering. And the lady that kind of is the relay worker says, well, we... We say that there's, no, there's nothing more. But we don't act like there's nothing more. We know there's more than this. We say, well, why is the world bad? Why is the world broken? There must be more than this. There must be something. God has set eternity in the human heart. I think ultimately the poem is a plea to live all our moments in the light of eternity. That life is a gift of God that continues beyond death into eternity. As it were, the times of our lives are not the only times they are. It should be in the Bible, shouldn't it? And if you Google what we do in life echoes in eternity, what you find is loads of preachers have nicked it. And he's a Leeds fan as well. Will's not here today, but hey, we'll let him off. What we do in life echoes in eternity. It's true. Now, this guy, uh, Ridley Scott, is probably saying, I'm, he's probably railing against the wind and saying, I'm not vapour. I am the captain of my own soul, the master of my own ship. I can do what I want. But actually, the, real, the, real, the resonance is we know that actually because God is eternal, that what we do in life echoes in eternity. Secular culture may choose their uncontrolled freedom to do what they want without reference to anyone but ourselves and definitely not God. But such nihilism only leads to empty hedonism of chasing after elusively and increasingly unsatisfying highs. I thought it was a great quote last week. Jim Carrey I wish everybody was rich and famous so they could find out there's nothing there. I was in the chip shop. I'm strategically going to buy fish and chips. I know my wife thinks it's really because I'm just a greedy, greedy but gut bucket who likes to eat and drink to the glory of God. But I was in the fish shop. <laughs> I was in the fish and chip shop on a Wednesday lunchtime. And, um, <laughs> and the guy said, we start talking about kind of the, the, the meaning of life. Uh, and the purpose of life. And he says, you know, I thought, where has he got that from? How does he know what I'm thinking about? You know, we, we, I'm buying fish and chips. And he says, you know, do you think there's, there's more than just kind of running a fish and chip shop? This is what he says. He's very profound. Do you think there's more than just running a fish and chip shop and, and kind of serving customers? You know, I, and I thought, well, it's a very profound question. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I just want to get rich. And I said, well, do you think that's going to be it? And he said, 
I don't know, but I'd like to try. And I said, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, the actor, said, I wish everybody was rich and famous so they could realize that it doesn't satisfy, that there's nothing there. And we chase after the wind in the pressure of our society encourages us to do that. Whilst all the time when coronavirus pops in, we just realize, man, we're so fragile. I said this, I came up and said this earlier, we are vapor, but God is glorious. Vapor is empty and insubstantial and fleeting, but glory means weighty and substantial and enduring. I find the bit where the, the hand comes and writes on the wall in the book of Daniel, writes three words. The middle word is tekel, which says to King Darius, who's a rich dude, you have been weighed in the scales and found wanting or found light. Without God, we can chase after whatever, but actually we're weighed in the scales and found light. Let's let Solomon finish and then we'll just make a few comments. God has made everything beautiful in its time. We've got to believe that. He set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that all God does will endure forever. Nothing will be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does so that people will be in fear of it. Whatever is has already been and what has already been before. God seeks all things to move them rapidly. Our our plans are thrown off course by a little virus, but God sees the big picture. This painting, you can't really see it in here, but anyone know what the painting is from Holland? It's a Rembrandt and it means the night watch. Okay, thanks for doing it in Dutch. Yeah, it's great to have a multiple bilingual person. And, and, And it's actually... We see that picture like that as humans, but the reality is we see life like the bit on the right. That is a four-centimetre square. I've obviously blown it up bigger because you can see it. A picture of the picture. And it was interesting that perspective was interesting. Gary was saying that we're in the maze and we don't really know where we're going and God sees the big picture. And I thought, we're looking at the picture. We're looking at, the, we look at life like we're look, looking at the black watch from this close up. And you think, I have no clue what's going on. And that's how we live our life. But the, Solomon says, and he's a bright boy. He says, that's how I've lived my life. It's really difficult to get it into focus. You know, if you get so close, how do you get life into focus? How do you get life into definition? But he says, but God sees the big picture. God paints the vast canvas of time from beginning to end and we're unable to fathom its depths. We're unable to get the big picture. But what Richard Dawkins does is he's got his face up to the picture says, well, there's no purpose and no meaning. I can see no pattern here. Step back, buddy. God has got a big plan. He's got a big picture he's painting. He's not distant from his creation, he's involved. uh, Solomon says, I know that all that God does will endure forever. It's not like we've got a God who's not involved. God's getting involved, he is involved. Nothing can be added to it, nothing can be taken away. So God does it so that people live in awe of him. 
But God has a plan. That the, the, the last words in, 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 in verse 15, I, I don't know what you've got in your Bible, but when I was reading about it, it basically said that the, the, the sense is about driving towards a purpose. Has anyone got a Bible with, with, a ver, with what it says? Every Bible will have a different one. End of 15. Anyone want to play? It doesn't really do the kind of justice to it. God seeks what is passed by. In other words, God is looking for something. But actually, it's like this, the, the word is about like this ever-flowing stream, this purposeful movement that God is, is driving forward. What's it saying yours? Driven away. Yeah, so they're struggling for it. Obviously, I'm a better translator because I read books by David Gibson, etc. But the thing is, God has a plan. He's got a plan. He brings Jesus into the picture. He brings Jesus into the picture. He says there's a time to be born. Just at the right time, says the writer of Galatians, when the time had fully, fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. Born that we might receive adoption into sonship, into relationships. At the right time when the Greeks had got a common language and the Romans had created a pathway, a network across the world, Jesus comes. There's a day appointed for Jesus to die. He died on that particular day, not a day before, not a day after, when his hour had fully come. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to heal. He healed. There's a time to tear down. He turned over the tables. He said, destroy this temple. I'll build it again in three days. There's a time to weep. He stands at the grave of his best friend, Lazarus, and weeps. He mourns over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I long to gather you, but you're not interested. There's a time to laugh and a time to dance. We've run out of wine. Come on, let's make some more. There's a time to gather. Peter, James, John, come on, come on, let's gather. Time to scatter, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. There's a time to be silent. They're smacking him in the face. The, The pilot says, have you got nothing to say? It's a time to speak. There's a time for war and victory. On the cross, Jesus cries out in victory, not in defeat. It's done. It's accomplished. The endless, empty march of time, and we'll talk about it in a few weeks' time, the curse of death is finished. There's a time to embrace. The woman held on to him, weeping, pouring out tears, oil, perfume on his feet. Time to embrace. There's a time to not embrace. Comes out of the tomb and he says this, I think it's there. Jesus said to Mary, it might have been the same lady. She turned towards him and cried out, teacher, and he said, do not embrace me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. There's a time to love. A time to bring peace. God is moving everything forward. Jesus enters into our span of time. Glenn Srivener says this, we all feel love is the greatest thing because the greatest thing, God, is love. The best things in lives really are our relationships, the meeting of minds and the joining of hearts. If we think the universe is basically material stuff, 
Mr. Dawkins. We won't understand it. But if we let God's Son, Jesus, show us reality, we realize that the God who is three in one makes sense of everything. We value relationships, goodness, truth, beauty, and love. So how do you respond to this big picture? You respond to... I am nearly done now. You respond to this big picture by the moments of your life. By the moments of your life. How you live in the moments of your life. How you eat and drink is the metaphor. I've quoted this before. Anne Dillard says, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. How you spend the moments of your days is how you spend the big sweep of time. Those moments matter. They don't matter if life is meaningless, but if life has purpose, they matter. Matthew, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Let's say that together. It's very appropriate for today. What are you going to eat or drink? There's that metaphor again. Jesus is finding the same metaphor. He's using the same about your body. What are you going to wear? Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Say that. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? You might put more toilet roll in the trolley, but it ain't going to add any time to your life. But seek first his kingdom, big picture, and his righteousness, big picture, and all these things will be added to you well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble. Live for today. Live now. So if you say live for today, it could seem like incredible hedonism, but for us, we say we live now. We live now. We don't live what's gone. And I think there's so many of us live with what's gone. I'm having golf lessons. It's not working. But the guy said to me, you've got to stop stressing and throwing your clubs around what's gone. If if it went in the water, it went in the water, it's gone. (laughs) If it went in the water again and again, yeah, I think, okay, Ross, I get the idea, it's gone. But I don't feel like it's gone. I feel like it's eating me up until I wreck up the next hole. Golf is a metaphor for life, by the way. There's a time to putt and a pine to drive. No. But, but like, that might feel trivial, but actually some of us have, like, our lives have dealt as really horrible blows, and we just can't let them go. But Solomon's saying, no, live now. Live now. Not that that doesn't matter, but live now. Don't worry about tomorrow, says Jesus. Live now. Live fully now. Paul says it in Philippians. He says, I press on to take for the hold which Christ hold, Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, and when none of us have this kind of big picture sense of what God is all about. But one thing I do, say it with me, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to seek to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In the moment, we're saying we're done with this and we're living for this. 
I've quoted this before from Tish Warren. God is forming us into a new people. And the place of that formation is the small, embodied moments of today. Eat and drink and be satisfied because this too is a gift of God. Paul writes at the end of his life, but with godliness, with contentment, is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, be content with that. We're to live contented. Our world wants to make us discontented. But we're to say, this moment, my life, I live in view of the big picture of the glory of God. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.